so as we get in today, um, we're coming out of Skeptics Forum, and I know that last week we came out of Skeptics Forum, and uh, when, when we did, Skeptics Forum was, uh, well, Mark actually put it this way. Several times he said, well, make sure to grab two cups of coffee, put some Red Bull in, uh, because it's going to get deep. And we did work through a lot of philosophy, work through a lot of apologetics, and, and so there was some tough things that we, we wrestled through. Um, but in a sense, it's not going to be that hard, and in fact, the message today is quite simple. But at the same time, I want you to know that the, uh, the message today is quite heavy. And in fact, it made me think about it, because Mark goes away from time to time, and I preach from time to time, and, but I'm starting to think there may be an agenda. See, the last time that Mark went away, he's like, okay, you're going to preach on hell. Like, all right. And then so as I'm preparing, and he's going away, and as I'm preparing the text, looking through that, and I start reading, and the first thing I read is about circumcision. And I'm like, okay, Mark, what, what's going on here? But besides the point, it is a privilege to be able to share with you guys today here. It's a privilege to share the gospel. And so before we get started, I'd just like to, to pray uh, for today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, that you allow us to do what we do here, that you allow us to come together and, and to press into you and to get to know more about you and to worship you and that you listen. So Father, I just, I just pray and I beg that you would only allow me to say the things that you want me to say today. And Father, I pray that only the things that you want people to hear is what they hear and that the Holy Spirit would work in people's lives today and that your word for them would sink deep and make a heavy impression on them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna get into Ephesians 2. And so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Ephesians 2. But before we get into that, I need to set it up. So what we're gonna talk about today, Paul is talking about remembering. Now there's lots of different types of remembering. There's remembering that could be very useful and beneficial and that will impact the way that you live today and the way that you live into the future. And that's what we're gonna to discuss today. But at the same time, we gotta realize that there's also other remembering. There's remembering that could actually be harmful to us um, because of the way that we remember things. And there's also times that we're gonna remember things that are just quite pointless. In fact, let me give you an example that this week I was invited to a leadership prayer breakfast. Now, I love the idea of leadership, I love prayer, and who doesn't love breakfast? It's the most important meal of the day, right? And so, of course, I'm gonna go to this. Now, I'm not saying this to be negative because it was a good event, and I will go back next year if they let me. But here's the facts about the event. The average age in the room was about 103 years old. And so, now, of course, that's an exaggeration. But the keynote speaker did have to be helped up on the stage. He had a cane, and he spent most of his time talking about Imodium. That's the truth. And, and so, but one thing that I noticed as I looked across the room is that everybody was watching him. And it made me think to myself, like, man, if, if this room was full of the conferences that I usually go to, people around my own age, everyone would be staring down at their laps, pretending that people don't know that they're actually checking their iPhones or, you know, looking at their emails and updating Facebook. And then it, it made me think about, like, what was life like before iPhones, and then, and then I was eating bacon, so I kind of forgot about that. So that remembering, that remembering was really useless. I could have pondered on it a bit, but that's just a point of sometimes remembering things can just be pointless and there's no, no reason to it. At the other times, though, I think uh, remembering can actually be depressing. And so I think back of when I was younger and, and played basketball and I could do things that I can't do now and it's kind of depressing. Or, or many of you have, have kids and if you think, Back, if you can remember, I mean, I can't even remember life before kids, but if you could and think about like, man, be able to sleep through the night and, 
and uh, be able to wear clothes without stuff all over it for my kids and, and to be able to go wherever I want, whenever I want. And actually, it's kind of depressing sometimes. But kids are amazing. They're a blessing. And I love all of my kids most of the time. But there's another part that we need to be careful because remembering sometime is dangerous. And, and what, when it's dangerous is when we start making memories and we start remembering things out of context. And a good example of this is that right now on Facebook, a guy can go on Facebook and he can be friends with hundreds of people. And as he looks through and they can say like, oh, I dated this girl in high school. Those are good times. We went to movies and we ate pizza, stayed up late and it was good because I slept in the next day because I didn't have a job. And so they start thinking about a reality that really was out of context because it's not a reality at all because now he's comparing it to a life with wife and kids and responsibilities and jobs. And so he ends up leaving his wife to, to go try to repair these memories and try to relive these memories that really weren't real because they were out of context. So, but today we need to dig in and the, the, the remembering that we're gonna talk about today is, is how can we remember things that are going to impact the way that we live right now? And how can we remember things that are gonna impact the way that we live going forward? And so with that, I'd like for you to, to turn to Ephesians 2. And I'm gonna read Ephesians 2, we start in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were once time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed and ordinances, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So I warned you that there's gonna be circumcision involved here, so, but don't worry, we're not gonna do any slides and so it's, we, won't, we won't go that, that far down the road. And I'm actually not going to get into actually what circumcision and, and all that. But one thing that we need to realize is what, what's happening here is during this time, when Paul was writing this letter, there was two main people groups. There was the Jews, and there was everybody else, and everybody else was referred to as the Gentiles. Now, at this time, the Jews were the chosen nation of God. They were the ones that entered into the covenant with God, and the Gentiles, everyone else was on the outside. Everyone else was separated. And so what the Jews did is that they distinguished themselves by circumcision, and so what they're referring to here is that, that the Jews would often uh, make slurs or make comments about other people as the uncircumcision. Now, I don't know if your kids ever go around calling each other uncircumcised, but it, it, was, it was meant to be a slur. It'd be very similar to a racial slur today. Now, we, we do this all the time. This is not, I mean, circumcision's different. We don't go around, we don't distinguish ourselves that way today. But think about the way that we dress uh, the way that we talk, the, the things that we do with our time, the movies we watch, the TV shows that we watch, the things we eat or don't eat, all of these things are ways that we distinguish ourselves from each other. And our society actually pushes us that way, that we need to be unique and we need to be different. We need to distinguish ourselves. And, and so that's what's happening here is that, that, the, that the Jews were, were making this comment about those that were on the outside. 
And this is what Paul wants us to remember. He wants us to remember where we were. And as he gets into it a bit, it's the idea of that we were separated, that we were apart from God. And that's us today. Everyone in this room, we would be classified as Gentiles. And and going forward, this is us, that we were once apart from God, that we were separated from God, that we were alienated. And because of that alienation, then there was a hostility that grew with inside of us. Now, in, in a way, I've already kind of got to the other end. Like, I've, I've read the scripture, so you know how this is going to play out. Paul's going to say, you need to remember where you were, alienated, lost, separated, without hope. But because of Jesus, now you're over here. Now, because of Jesus, you have hope. Now the hostility can be killed. You can be reconciled back to God. You can be reconciled back to one another. But I, I, I want to spend most of our time right now in, in, the, in the past, what we need to remember back on. Now, if you're a Christian, this is the past, and we need to remember back on it. But if you're in this room and not a Christian, I just want you to ponder and think about this is your current reality, that without Christ, that you're lost without hope, that you're in a world that you're separated from God without Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that to, to try to, to push you away. I'm not, I'm not saying that in a proudful, boastful way because as we get into it later, you're gonna find out that it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone that we're now on the other side. But I want you to know as, as we move throughout the day today is that you have that opportunity to be on the other side. If you believe that this is where you were and because of Jesus that you can now have hope, that you can kill hostility and you can be reconciled. But I wanna dig into that a little bit. What does that actually mean? What does it mean that alienation is going to, to, to work a hostility within us. Now, we saw this played out two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, about 20 miles or 20 kilometers north of us here, there's a, there a young girl named Amanda Todd. She was 15 years old. Now, she was on the internet, and there were some things that were done, and, and, and from there, there was other people that used that information about her to alienate her from her friends. They used that information to separate her from her community and at her school where she actually had to move schools and she had to change friends, and she had to do a bunch of different things in order to escape, and she was really alienated by herself, and she really felt that way. And she was desperate because she had no hope, and so she attempted to reach out. She went on YouTube to make a plea, and, and she just wanted to be reconciled back to the life that she had. But, but her hope wasn't answered. There was no hope for her. She felt that she was completely isolated. She felt that because that so much of her separation from the world that she knew, that the only thing that she knew how to do was the most hostile thing that any of us can do, and she committed suicide. And see, this is the hostility and the alienation that, and it always leads to a destructive end. Now, a lot of you are thinking, well, that, that's the extreme example. And that is the extreme example because that is to the ultimate end that this angst inside of us, this hostility, is going to lead to destruction. But at the same time, you've got to realize that that's in, and that's a possibility to be within all of us. And because really, if you look in our culture now, a question that gets asked a lot is, what makes you happy? And, and really, what that question is asking is that, what inside of you, what, what is that angst? What is that hostility? What is that loneliness inside of you? How do you feel that? How, how do you make that go away? Now, for Christians, we know that there's only one answer, there's only one solution, and that's Jesus. But many times that we forget where we were, we forget where we were alienated and separated, so we still, we still wrestle with this inside of us. And because this angst and this, and this hostility is inside of us, we try to fill it with different things. 
Now, in our culture, let's just look at BC right now, um, or let's look even just at Village Church right now. It is very common to own your own business. In fact, I don't know many people that work for somebody else. Everyone owns their own business here. Now, that's not a bad thing. That is actually a good thing a lot of times. But the, the thing that turns it bad is when you think that owning your own business and being your own boss is going to fill that peace inside of you, that hostility inside of you is gonna go away because of what you do. Now, our jobs consume most of our time, so that makes sense that we would we'd try to use that to fill us. But the problem is, is that at some point, it fails, that your business is not going to take away that hostility inside of you. And then that leads down the road to destruction. And also families, families, again, just like work, just like businesses, families are a good thing. And and so Village is full of young families, lots of kids. We have 200 kids down the hallway right now that are part of Village Kids. And so that's a good thing. But the problem is, is when we think that families are going to be the answer, that we think families are going to take away that hostility. And what happens is, is that you start putting expectations on your husband. You start putting expectations on your wife. And then when they don't live up to those expectations because they can't, then there's bitterness and there's resentment, which a lot of times leads to divorce. And we see this played out in our kids as well. I mean, we almost joke about it, but how sad is it? How many times have we heard about two fathers at a hockey arena fighting each other? And it becomes this hostility inside of them because they're trying to live their life. They're trying to find their peace. They're trying to kill that hostility through their kids. And when their kids aren't the next Wayne Gretzky, this hostility builds up inside of them, and it ends in destruction. I want to try to go even deeper into this. See, this can even happen to pastors, See, if we forget about where we came from, if we forget about this separation, this isolation, this alienation, it can even happen to pastors. I know a story that didn't happen that long ago. A pastor was doing an amazing job. His church was growing. He planted a church. His church exploded. And then he had a book deal on the go. He was offered to write some books and make money that way. And then all of a sudden, everyone wanted him to speak in conferences throughout the states. But what happened was is that he forgot to remember where he came from. He forgot that he was apart from God and he forgot that Jesus was the one that reconciled him to God. And when he forgot about that, what happened was is that he left his wife in isolation. And then in her attempt to reach out, she went to another man and committed adultery. Now this, this pastor knew that this was going to end his ministry. And yet instead of focusing back and remembering back on, on what he was and where he came from, he only focused on the, the future and what that meant. And so what happened was is that he knew his ministry was over. So as the elders came to his house to see how this was all gonna play out, he took his wife to their bedroom and he shot himself in front of her. And he's a pastor. See, none of us are immune to this. If we forget where we came from, if we forget the state that we were in before Jesus It's going to lead to this angst, this hostility. It's going to separate us from God. And it always ends in destruction. Now, I want this to be heavy. And and, and if it's not heavy, I'd, I'd love to go heavier. But the thing is, I don't think I can actually go heavy enough. I don't think I could go deep enough into this. I don't think I can make it dark enough. I don't think as Christians, many times that we understand exactly how depraved and how full of destruction and how separated we were from Christ. But I hope that that sinks in that it's heavy because it needs to be. 
Now, at the same time that we started there, without hope, the world is full of misery. No one's going to disagree with that. But Paul doesn't leave us there. And this is what I love about Paul's writing. Just like any great movie, he starts with the negative and he ends with the positive. It's like, I love superhero movies because they discover, they discover their, their strengths and then they always go out and they just get whooped. They go out and they always get defeated. The first try they, they, they do, they always get defeated and it's always the second time that they're victorious. And I think Paul's writing that way. He's writing like, listen, this is where you were. It's always negative, but Paul always ends on the positive. And so I just want to focus on that again, the second part of our scripture today. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So this is a huge statement, if we believe this. So Christians, we need to say, do we truly believe this? Because it's a huge statement if we do. And this is the statement that, this is the thing that if you're a non-Christian, you need to ask yourself, Am I going to believe this? Am I going to believe that I was here, that I am here right now, and that there is hope, that there is a way to kill the hostility? And this is what Mark talked about last week. It's the, you were once dead, but now that you're, now that you're alive. And, and now we're the same thing this week. You're far from God, but because of Jesus, now you're near God. And so we got to realize that it, there, there's one or the other. There's no shades of gray here. It's black and it's white. You once were one place, and now you're another place. You were separated from God, now you're reconciled to God. You were alienated, and now you're brought close. And so we need to realize that. And so the, the big thing is that we gotta realize is, is, is how do we get from there to here? Now, the scripture, I've already given away the punchline, right? Because the scripture says it's because of Jesus. And what it means by this is that, that Jesus saw that we were, we were in a place that we had no hope, and from there, he said, well, there's only one solution. And that's the problem with humans. That's the, the entire issue. That's our biggest problem is that we're separated from God. And that's what Christianity is all about is getting back to God, is getting near to God. And God knew that there's nothing we can do to get back to him. And so that's why Jesus came. And if you've ever heard me preach, I say the same thing every time, and I don't apologize about it because this is what it's all about. That Jesus, because he knew that we couldn't get back, he had to do something about it. And so Jesus came to this earth, and Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. And see, Jesus lived a perfect life, which means he had no sin. And because he had no sin, he didn't deserve to die. Because death is brought on by sin. But he didn't have sin, so he didn't have to die. Yet, he chose to die in our place. Because our sin created a debt. And that debt had to be paid. And it was Jesus going to the cross and dying on the cross, shedding his blood, and then raising three days later. That's the gospel. That is Christianity all wrapped up in the gospel that we were once lost, we were once alienated, we were once separated. Now because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, the gospel, we now can be close to God. And this is crucial. This is crucial to the Christian faith. But one of the things is, is that we really need to focus on that middle part. We need to focus on the blood of Jesus. Because what happens is that a lot of times as we, we think back, as we think of back to our, our depravity, a lot of times it's, it's all about what we do. It's about our works. And we, re, we need to realize that our works can't save us. We need to, to know that it's by the blood of Christ alone that we can be saved. So a lot of people say that there's no greater denial of the gospel. There's no greater denial of the faith of Christians 
than to believe that your works can get you close to God. And so this is something we need to dig into. And so if you're tweeting, this is something you can tweet. This is something I want you to remember. That your best, your absolute best, still sucks. Okay, you need to realize that no matter what you do, it cannot make you right with God. Kanye West even knows that. I don't know if you listen to Kanye West. He raps that there's nothing I could do now to right my wrongs. And if Kanye West knows this, we need to know this. Okay, I'm sure where that came from. <laughs> we got to constantly remind ourselves of where we were and where we are, and the focus is on Jesus. And that's why we worship Jesus as our God. And so we need to realize is that as we look at that, as we look at our works, God actually calls our works dirty rags. They're worthless. And we need to realize that as we look at this, it's Jesus alone. And the scripture says it's the blood of Jesus. Notice it doesn't say that it's the good example set by Jesus. He doesn't say it's the teachings of Jesus. He doesn't say it's the moral compass of Jesus. He says it's by Jesus' blood. Now, for some people, that's offensive because in our culture, a lot of people like the idea of God. They love the idea of prayer. Even if you don't believe in God, people will say, I will pray for you. You're in our prayers, which really doesn't make sense apart from the fact that there is a God. And if there is a God, we got to know the only way to get back to him is the blood, the blood of Jesus. And so Paul, because of this, is going to take us to the other side. Now, I want to dig into that a little bit deeper because I think it's an issue that even if we believe it, as Christians, we believe that we were there, we can remember that, we can, we can even believe that, okay, this is where God's taken us. But I run into questions all the time that it still comes down to our works, that we truly don't believe it's the blood of Jesus. There's so many conversations I have with people that say, you know what, I wanna get baptized, but you know, I'm not a good enough Christian yet. It just shows you that they don't understand exactly what that means yet. There, there's questions, there's, there's people that say, listen, I want to join a community group, but you know what, there's this one sin that I'm still struggling with. And that's the point. That's why you've got to get into community groups, because as a body, you struggle with that sin together. But the idea is that no matter if you kill that sin yourself, it does nothing for you. It doesn't make you right with God. Even my daughter, my daughter is six years old. I have two daughters, two sons. My oldest daughter is six. And of all my kids, she's the best theologian. She's, I think she's got it nailed sometimes. The other day, we were actually out on, on a date at Tim Hortons. I know, high class, right? So she's eating her chocolate chip muffin, and she's sharing with me her dreams. And not like her dreams of what she wants to be, but her actual dreams from the following night. And, and so she said, Dad, I had this dream. I mean, it's a long dream. It's a really weird dream. But at the end, she said, there was this man. And this man said, I can't go to heaven because I said a bad word at my friend's house. Now, she actually did say a bad word at her friend's house. And so I looked at her and I said, Abby, listen, you're a depraved sinner and you deserve to be separated from God. So I said, no, no. I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Kind of alluded to it a bit. But I told her, I was like, no, listen. Listen, that is not how it works. It's, it's not what you do, but it's what has been done in Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross. And so, but I think that's a perfect example. I mean, Abby six, and, and she hears the gospel in the house all the time. Her friends, they, I, I mean, she hears it, but yet it still creeps in, this flawed thinking. And as Christians, sometimes I think we do that as well. So sometimes we can remember where we were, and we can even imagine where we're going to be and what God has made us now. But sometimes we, we want to skip over the blood of Christ because we feel like we should earn it. But that's flawed thinking. And see, as Paul takes us to the other side, 
He's taken us to a side of peace and to reconciliation. Now, as I read this, it's, again, I said it's very simple. So what, what's happening here is like, listen, this is where you're at. It's horrible. You're isolated. You're alienated. You're alone. You're apart from God. You're in a place, you're in a place that you weren't created to be. And now, because of Jesus, no works of your own, nothing that you've done on your own, but grace alone through the blood of Jesus, now you're with God. You're brought near to God. And now you can have peace. Jesus himself is peace. And now you can have peace. And that's exactly what the scripture is saying. But I think we need to be careful here because what happens is we, we hear that and we think, okay, because I've gone to the other side, now things are going to be good. Now things are going to be easy. And yes, things are going to be good eternally. But don't, under, don't think that things are going to get easy. In fact, if we look at scripture, once you become a Christian, things are probably going to get harder for you. Now, this is something I really want to touch on because I think this is something that, as a church, we are wrestling with. And I think we're wrestling with it because we're talking to people all the time that, that are up against the wall. People are hurting. People that are committed to Christ are hurting. And sometimes they're thinking, maybe life was better before Jesus. And see, this is the problem is that, is that, that they're trying to think back to where they were but it's out of the context. It's out of the reality of what it actually was. And, and so, for example, take Village Church. And, and I want to press into this a little bit. So, some of you know this. Um, when Village Church was planted a couple years ago, during the initial phase of it, there was a small core team. There wasn't many people that were gathering in order to launch Village Church. And on that small team, there was three deaths. There was a death of two mothers and one father. And so that was at a time when, when Village Church was, was just being birthed and, and from conception all the way, and Mark lost his father after the first week of Village. Or even if you look back to uh, this summer, we, we ran a kids program, almost 400 kids showed up. And it was amazing. A lot of kids heard about Jesus for the first time. But day one, I show up, I had my coffee, and I remember because I didn't even get to drink my coffee, I'm rolling up with my coffee, and I hear someone calling 911. So I had to put my coffee down, never got back to it. And that started the week. We called 911 three times that week. At the same time, my wife got a call that week that her mother had a stroke. It was a hard week. And at the same time, right now, a couple, last month, a couple months ago, we, we launched Rosemary Heights Campus. And there, again, there was a team that was, a core team that was gonna launch out to, to be the core of that campus. And during the last month, there's been so many issues and struggles and sicknesses that this core team had to deal with. And so we look at it and say, listen, things aren't going to be easy. And so if we look back and we look forward at the same time, we got to realize that just because we're on this side now, the positive side, doesn't mean things are going to be easy. And, and we got to be careful that when we remember back, we got to remember correctly. Because there are some people that are thinking, maybe I should go back. Maybe I should go back to life before Jesus. Maybe I should go back to life before church. And we need to be very careful with that because it's flawed thinking. We see this in the book of Numbers, actually, when, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and they prayed for God to save them and God did answer and God saved them. And he brought them out of Egypt and he brought them into the desert to take them into the land that he promised for them. But during this time, there was a time in the desert and they were there for a period and, and, and there were some hard things that they dealt with. And during this time, some of them started to, to grumble. Some of them started to say, maybe we should go back 
to Egypt. Maybe we should go back into slavery. And we need to be very careful because as a church, I think sometimes it's easy to look back and remember things as they weren't. And so we need to really focus on exactly where we were alienated and separated from God and realizing that's not where we want to be. Now, one of the things I think is very interesting as I think about this, and I've, I've talked with some of you about you really don't want to go back. Now that you know the truth, now that you know what Jesus has done for you and what that means, can you ever go back? And, and it's the same thing we need to look at in the scriptures. When Israelites came out of Egypt and they were in the desert, now, of course, there's opposition and we do have an enemy and, and Satan is real. But as we look at that, we got to realize that it was God who kept the Israelites in the desert. And so some of you are up against the wall. Some of you are facing very tough struggles right now. Some of you are tired. I get it. Some of you are so tired you just want to quit. But that's why Paul's saying it's so important to look back to where we were. And it may be the fact that God is actually pushing into you and he's got you exactly where he wants you. Even though it's hard, it may be exactly where he has you for a reason. I want to share a little passage here from, uh, there's a pastor in Philadelphia. His name's Eric Mason. And I want to share you something with one of, from one of his sermons. He said, a lot of people blame a lot of things on Satan. And it's easy to deal with the reality of the fact that Satan is against you and all that stuff. And that he's your problem. But there's a whole other category and issue that you need to let sink into you when it's not Satan's who's your problem, but it's God who's your problem. Listen, if you're gonna walk in the implications of the gospel, then you're gonna have to be married to the principles of brokenness. Brokenness is the mark of a person that is qualified to be used by God. And at the end of the day, people that are actually being used by God in a crazy way, in an off-the-meter way, are people that have been cracked up, that have been lunged at by God, and God has done something to them. See, broken can mean shattered, crushed, maimed, devoid of arrogance, wounded, contrite, injured, smashed and grieved, anxious, distressed, crippled, wrecked, demolished, fractured, handicapped, disabled, brokenness. Based on the scriptures, it's the spiritual state by which one is disarmed of one's self-dependence and pride. Therefore, leaving one disabled in desperate need of help, thereby making one a viable conduit for the glory of Christ. See, being a Christian is hard. And so if you're a Christian in this room right now, you've got to realize that. But you can't forget where God has brought you from through Jesus' blood. And if you're not a Christian in this room, I ask you, please don't pretend to be one because it's stupid and it's hard and there's no point. Now, if you're not a Christian in this room, now part, part of the problem is, is as Christians, we, we expect you to act like a Christian. And as a church, we, we need to get past that. If you're not a Christian, we want you here. We want you to hear this truth. We want to love you. We don't want to judge you based on a set of values that you don't believe in. So as a church, as Christians, we need to, if you're a non-Christian, we simply want to love you so that you can understand and hear the truth. And we pray that God would press into you and to change your heart, to soften your heart. 
But if you're a Christians, I think it's a gut check time. So us Christians that are in the room, this is a gut check time. Do we actually believe this? When we think back, when we think back of where we were, do we believe that we were alienated from God? Do we see that as a problem? Do we see our separation from a holy God as a problem? Because if we don't see it as a problem, then we don't need a solution. We don't need a savior. We don't need Jesus. And if you don't need Jesus, you're not a Christian. So we need to be honest with ourselves. But as a Christian, we need to push into this because what it actually means is that we understand the state that we were in and we understand the cost of Jesus on the cross and we understand the righteousness that he gave us that we can kill the hostility and now we have peace in Jesus. See, it was said, I believe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones that said, one of the greatest issues with Christians is that we fail to realize the greatness of our salvation we fail to realize how horrible our sin was. We fail to realize that how much of a lack of hope we had apart from God through Jesus. And because of that, we don't know exactly the depths or the heights to which our salvation is. So this is going to change everything, if you believe that. And Christians, this is the challenge to you. If you believe that, it has to change everything. You can't simply know it with your head. You can't simply know about God. You can't simply read about God. What this means is if you think back and remember where you were and what Jesus did and where you are today, it changes everything. See, Mark talked about this last week is that Jesus being in the middle, being, being our hope, it, it corrects the vertical, right? So our relationship with God is reconciled. But what happens is, if, if that is reconciled, it changes the horizontal. It changes how we live out our lives. And so my question to you, Christians, is how are you serving? How are you living your life? Now, I'm not doing this as a plug for Village Church. Like, if you don't want to serve at Village, if it's not the church for you, then please find a church that's right for you. But you got to realize you can't simply sit on the sidelines. Jesus wants it all because Jesus changed all. We need to realize where he brought us from. And so if you're too busy in your job, <coughs> if you're too busy with your kids to do anything for the church, to do anything for God, then you need to change your life. And I ask you, what are you doing with your money? Again, like God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. He can do whatever he wants. It's all his anyway. But I ask you, where's your heart at? If you truly believe this, if you truly believe that Jesus changed everything for you, then why would you not support the one mission that he told you to go on? Why would you not be all about reaching other people and telling people what Jesus has done for you? And again, I'm not asking you to give to Village. But I'm asking you, if you're not giving, why not? Do you really believe everything that Jesus has done for you? And so as Christians, it's gut check time. Because what this is saying is that, that yes, we have a glorious future. But it's going to be a hard road because Jesus has taken us from, from hope, a lack of hope, and alienation has brought us and reconciled us to God. But we've got to realize it, it came at a price to Jesus, and now Jesus is calling us to respond and so that's my prayer today, and that's, that's where I want to, to wrap this up.
See, every one of us in this room, and I already mentioned this, that we have a problem, that we were once separated from God. And some of you in this room are still separated from God. And so my prayer is that as Christians, we think back on what life was like when we were separated from God and and what that means and how that's going to change everything about you, everything about your heart, everything about your thinking, everything about the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, and the things that you talk about and the people that you share with and that you live lives with. It changes everything. And for the non-Christian, I pray that before you leave this room that you think about this. Is there any truth to this? Are you in a place where there's no hope, that you're separated from God? Are you in a place where there's hostility and angst built within you because you can't fill it, even though you've tried and tried and tried? It's still there. And I could tell you that the only answer, the only peace is Jesus. So I pray that before you leave this room, please think about that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to give you thanks and praise for your grace, your mercy, what you have done. You brought us from separation. We were alienated. We were apart from you. And even when we didn't even know that, you sent Jesus to save us. So Father, I just pray that every single one of us is crushed by that. That it just pushes a weight on us that we can't escape and that we respond joyfully and that we just give you all of our thanks and we live our lives to glorify you because of what you've done, even though we don't deserve it. So Father, I pray that you would take our lives and let them be a sacrifice to you. Let our lives glorify you. Father, I pray that you would change hearts today, that people that walked in this room today separated from you, that you would bring them back to you they would remember that they would realize the state that they're in and what Jesus has done for them. I pray that you change hearts today, Father. Father, I pray even as we offer uh, giving and money and time back to you that you would just take those as gifts and that you would receive them and that, Father, again, you don't need our money, but, Father, just as as an outpouring of our heart for what you've done for us, we want other people to know what you have done for us and what you have done for them. So, Father, please don't leave this room without remembering what has been done, where you have brought us from. And we just thank you and give you all the glory. And we pray in your son's name. Amen.